some. TV shows and movies are really great. Well, some are maybe better left on the plate. You spend a thousand years picking through the rubble. So what if there's a podcast that can save you the trouble? So pop some corn, stir up a martini. It's What Are You Watching with Chris Mancini. Hey friends, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm your host, Chris Mancini. This is the show where we interview comedians and entertainment pros and find out what the people who make entertainment are watching. Company-wise, things are moving along. First, this show, What Are You Watching?, has been picked up by the Companion Cast Network, which is a podcast network dedicated to TV companion content and after shows. We are very proud to be part of the new network. And also, a reminder to watch the Discovery Plus show, Inventions That Changed History. It's a mini-series I was on. It was a lot of fun to do. I got to talk about a lot of pop culture inventions from like pinball machines to Twister to Ouija boards. There's six episodes. I'm pretty much in all of them, dropping a few pop culture facts here and there, uh, including a disco ball. So uh, enjoy. It's a fun show. Uh, Long Gone Far Away is out now and has been re-released on digital for Kindle, drive through Comics, and Apple Books. Signed physical copies are available at the White Cat Entertainment Store. I'm sure a lot of you have it already. If you want to grab it digitally for Kindle or other readers, it's been refreshed and updated a bit. Now, I know a lot of you guys listening have it already, but since it's on these new platforms, it is missing reviews. Now, I know I sound like a, blo- a broken record for ratings and reviews, but believe me, it's a hassle for me too. But if you get a chance to throw a review up on Amazon or Drive Through Comics, it would be appreciated because it does help with the tracking and the stupid algorithms, as blah, blah, blah. But uh, also Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master, the next comic is moving along nicely. We're in the final notes for color, lettering, and book production. We'll be here for another month or so, but things do look great. Uh, There's going to be two more pinups, sketch pages. We're going to have bookmarks for the Kickstarter backers, even a refresh of Volume 1 with more sound effects. Yes, sound effects in the book. Yeah, you'll see. And if you miss the Kickstarter, don't worry. It'll be available in the White Cat store uh, after all the backers get their copies. Now, I also wanted to ask you guys about joining the White Cat Adventures Club. On Patreon, we've gotten a few new members this year, and there's always room for more. For only 5 bucks a month, you get early access to this show and a bonus episode every month only for members. This month, Neil and I do a Stranger Things spoiler ep. Uh, we get into a lot of the 80s kind of nostalgia and all the stuff that they put in, and uh, even a little speculation on what the rest of the season will look like. And you'll get sneak peeks at the artwork from the graphic novels and Professor Atwood's very semi-weekly journal, soundscapes for The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood, and more. Our first album of soundscapes is uh, being worked on now. It's a little behind, but it will be worth it, I promise. It's going to be a double album. And like I said, member tiers started only 5 bucks a month. The shout-out tier is 25 There's a few in between. But most importantly, you're supporting the company and all the White Cat Entertainment content, and it does help tremendously. So go to patreon.com slash whitecatentertainment. And this episode is sponsored by Tiny Wizards, a new comic book series about a super small-sized world of wizards and their magical fast food fights. The debut issue from artist Dean Beatty and writer Evan Burgoon is available now as a lavish prestige format book for just $13.99 at tinywizards.com. That's tiny-wizards.com. White Cat Entertainment listeners get free shipping when using the code WHITECAT at checkout. All right, there we go. That's all the business. Now, let me introduce my guest. He's This is the first time he's been on this new show. Um, we've known each other for a very long time. Uh, we've shared a stage a bunch of times, and I think he can verify this. I think we actually met in Indianapolis at uh, the Broad Ripple Comedy Club many, many years ago. 
host of the Never Not Funny podcast, Jimmy Pardo. Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing very well. I, no, I'm struggling health-wise, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I, I guess in the real world, I'm supposed to just lie and say I'm doing well. How are you? Yep, <laughs> doing okay. All I'm right. actually, I, I have to be honest. I'm All things ex- considered. I'm exhausted yes. by listening to the opening of the program. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of information. <laughs> it was a lot, yeah. I should probably edit that down. <laughs> uh, or scatter it throughout the program. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that. Uh, I'm not, I'm being a, a, a humorous uh, gentleman, uh, not really criticizing. Uh, but I can confirm that we met, you were working at Broad Ripple, I was working at the downtown Indianapolis Comedy Club. The, right. Uh, the same owners own both of the clubs, mm-hmm. uh, Chicken uh, Patty Perrin. Yes. And uh, I believe you were featuring one room and mm-hmm. I was featuring the other one. And um, you had already lived in Los Angeles and I was about to move to Los Angeles. Right. Uh-huh. And... Uh, I will never remember who I was working with, but you and Me I, either. we would go, they would always meet, we'd meet at a place called the Old Point Tavern. Yes. And uh, we, you and I just uh, uh, clicked yeah. and we hit it off. And, and while we don't hang out all the time, right. whenever we see each other, mm-hmm. certainly no time lost. Always fun. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, one of the things I do remember of like uh, us hanging out the, was that uh, I remember I called you once. I was like, you know. I've got Queensryche tickets. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, who, who am I going to call? And uh, I don't know if you were at the top of the list when I thought of Queensryche, but I'm like, yeah, I think Jimmy would probably go. And uh, I did. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm guessing I was number 27 on the list. That's my guess. <laughs> yes. Because um, the uh, list wouldn't be that long. You went. I think you went through your Philly, your Philly friends. Right. And then you went, who else do I have? <laughs> yeah. uh, and I remember, I said, in fact, I, I just told my podcast partner, uh, Matt Belknap, this because we mm-hmm. went to see the uh, Rolling Stones at the, so- at the SoFi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing so, we walked past the forum where we saw Queensryche. Right. And I said, uh, you know, my, my first concert here was Queensryche with Chris Mancini, yeah. which is a sentence nobody would expect me to say. Like, none of, none of that makes right. sense to anybody. Yeah. And I said, and beforehand, Chris had an extra ticket. I said, I'll go, but how about if we meet at the Sizzler, Yes, and I buy dinner, and then we go to the show. Right, I remember. So we had yeah. Sizzler, and then went to see Queensryche. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I remember, too, it wasn't full. Uh, there was a lot of empty seats, and you and I are so, like, meticulous about rules that we're like, well, these are our seats. There's, we're surrounded by empty seats. Should we move? What if what if someone says something to us? Right. Uh, I could tell you uh, that I have let that go. Yeah. I, I, I will now, especially in these COVID times, whenever I go to a show, yeah. uh, if I see a, a, a bubble of empty seats, that's mm-hmm. where I'm sitting. Even, yeah. if, even if it's a worse seat than what I have, mm-hmm. I'm going to go there and be around less people. Right. And if I get mm-hmm. hassled, yeah. So be it. Yeah, we, it was amazing how much time we actually spent on like, well, if we moved here, it'll look like maybe we bought those seats <laughs> right. or we bought over here. Nobody's looking at you <laughs> no, two. No, nobody no, cares nobody, about you nobody. two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also, this uh, 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 just since we're going down memory lane a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, I then also went to uh, some sort of maybe a Memorial Day picnic with, or a Father's Day picnic, with not picnic, a barbecue at, at I, I want to say a guy named Cal Clark. Oh, am yeah, I getting I that name Cal right? Clark. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You were friends with him, and you said, "Hey, uh-huh. I'm going to this thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go?" And mm-hmm. and you even said, "He goes, look, I really don't." You said, "I don't really know anybody except for Cal." Yeah. And we went there, and I to this day did not fit in at that venue at that party <laughs> at all. Everybody was very pleasant, yeah, and so on. But yeah. I just it was one of those mm-hmm. things where like, you know, the gears were just you know the the, the cogs were just right missing. Just they were there just enough comedically because we were all in the business, but mm-hmm. at the same time it was like, oh, we're we're different worlds. Right. And no fault of mine, no fault of theirs. Just yeah. 
wasn't yeah, that. And it's um, it's interesting. Like when you get to L.A. too, it's like to kind of find that place is really hard because when all the people that come to L.A. first of all. Nobody fits in anywhere anyway when you start. And then you're feeling like, well, all of, all of us that don't fit in, how do we fit in with each other? Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. you're trying to figure out like it's some weird kind of Jenga comedy puzzle that you're uh, trying to put together. Yes. And, um, and then when you eventually kind of find like um, who you gravitate towards and hang out with and then you, you realize that, um, oh, I want to hang out outside of being on stage or a green room. And like we have a lot of shit in common. And, right. And that's... Uh, that's always great about LA, and it's not just for comics too. It's like writers, com- you know, and uh, actors. You, you see the same thing too. I'm always fascinated too by like when you see, especially online, of like you know, there's a a picture of like somebody playing poker, and it's like eight giant celebrities. Like, did they know each other before they right? all got famous? Like, you, right. you wonder, like, did they all come up together and every single one got famous? Was there one ninth guy that didn't quite make it with the other eight? <laughs> it, I, I'm with you. Did you ever read, uh, you know, back in the day when we, when in my opinion, he was not a problematic personality, but Bill mm-hmm. Maher's book, uh, I forget the name of his book, but he wrote a book that was quote unquote fiction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was based on his four friends, like the, like the people he hung out with. Mm-hmm. And one of them didn't make it. But the other ones, he and then two of those clearly. I think one was Gilbert, and one was I. Uh, oh, I forget who the other. But they they all made it. So to your point, I'm with you. Like, and do they still hang out with that guy? Like, right. Like, mm-hmm. that, does that ninth guy go? Hey, we're gonna we're gonna meet up at uh, Jerry's Deli. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we got to Rob's got to come. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, Rob can come, and then Rob <laughs> comes and just feels like crap about himself because he didn't make it. Right. <laughs> yeah. While he's there with Seinfeld and Riser and Larry right. Miller and because yeah. all all those guys would hang yeah. out together. Larry David and all the guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's you know Hollywood is such a weird thing. Like uh, you know you you know you start with people and um, you wonder like I mean the internet has definitely changed things. But when we first started, there was like you come out. There's a limited amount of slots, and that's all that is there for you out here. Right. There's there's no um, viral videos. There's there's nothing. So. Everyone was kind of competing for those specific slots. I remember doing showcases for like, you know, in comedy nights and like you hoped a development exec would like you. Yes. And, then, uh, and they had a, a certain amount of slots to fill. And then when those slots got filled out of eight of them, only one would move forward. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was a weird like um, mathematics of attrition that uh, that now thankfully is is no longer the case. Like, you know, we can kind of do what we need to do and what we want to do and the fans can follow us like online or wherever and, you know, we're not hoping for that one showcase that uh, you get picked up by development exec and then if you don't, then your agent and manager drops you. <laughs> so, right, then, then apparently you're not talented anymore. Yes, you're, you're, yeah. you're, what, what, they, what they originally saw and believed in, they no longer see and believe. Yeah. Yeah, was, that guy at Fox said it doesn't work. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's the only network um, right. in the universe. So clearly... <laughs> That's yeah. the opinion we're going to go with. And that old model is still the same, too, with um, with pitching. Like, you know, you develop a show for like a year or whatever. You know, you put the package together. You finally go out to pitch. You get two meetings. If it doesn't sell right away, I'm like, well, oh, well, yeah, well, nobody wants this. It's dropped. You right. mean two out of the hundred buyers that might? Uh, and to this day, to your point, there are a hundred buyers yeah. out there now. Mm-hmm. It's no longer just four. Right. And so, it, but it is weird. Like after two, well, I guess it's not fucking, it's yeah, not gonna, yeah. this isn't the one, Chris. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. But the email right before these two meetings told me how much you loved the project. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm like, who is this? Yeah. All right. But well, uh, Jimmy, I have to ask you now. Yes. What are you watching? 
here's uh, here's what Pardo's going through, mm-hmm. and I have never ever referred to myself by my last name <laughs> or a third person like that, and it made me very uncomfortable. So much so, I had a comment on it, and will not stop commenting on it. Um, I'm going through a phase where, um, and it kind of alludes back to what I said. I, 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 nothing serious, just various. You said, but by the way, dude, I'm, I've been quoting you. Uh, nonstop for the last few weeks because oh, really? you put it, you put it perfectly in an email when I when I said sorry about a delay in responding to you I've had my head up my ass yeah. uh, dealing with all this health stuff mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I I when I'm not at the doctor I'm scheduling appointments to see the doctor yeah. and you put it in the email uh, it seems the older we get the more we're bringing the car into the shop right. and do, what a great <laughs> way to describe kind of what I'm going through like yeah. I'm kind of a you know I'm still a great car. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of going through some issues that it needs to be get tuned up and stuff. So maintenance, uh, it needs maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm dealing with that, I kind of just want comfort, comfort food, television. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so pre-pandemic, I was I was in early on Columbo, uh, the resurgence of Columbo. Oh, okay. I was I was doing that before uh, the pandemic, and then during the pandemic, I just went down the list of all you know of all of that: Kojak, McLeod. Um, Macmillan and wife, uh, and then most recently Cagney and Lacey, which is uh, amazing. And then I just watched the tr- uh, uh, Sharon Gless's show after Cagney and Lacey called "The Trials of Rosie O'Neill," uh, which is not for Jimmy Pardo, uh, <laughs> but I loved every second of it. I watched, I I literally binge watched the uh, the two seasons in five days, and. Uh, Wow. It, I'm literally a 72-year-old retired woman. Yeah. Uh, and I just, last night, this is 100% true, last night, I was on the couch. I finished the finished Rosie O'Neill. I didn't know what to do. And it said, viewers also watched Burn Notice. And all I know about Burn Notice is that great SNL sketch. Uh, do you remember that it was a game show, What is Burn Notice? And Jason Sudeikis was the game show host. And the people were on, the you know, three people at podiums. And... Uh, he would go, uh, hey, everybody, welcome to What is Burn Notice? Let's go to our first question. What is Burn Notice? I'm paraphrasing. What is it? And then people go, ah, is it a, a, a car repair shop? No, no, not a car repair Because remember at the time, Burn Notice had billboards everywhere. everywhere. And yeah. nobody knew what it was. Right. And so mm-hmm. the, the sketch was perfect. So I said, uh, because Adam Ferrara and my video uh, director, uh, Elliot Hoper, both said they've watched it and it was good. So I was like, all right. I'll see what it is. I, yeah. I can't. I'm sick of looking for something. I'm going like to watch USA is like one of their biggest shows. Dude, yeah. I've watched an episode and a half. I'm in. Mm-hmm. It is really great. And I'm mad at myself that it's taken me this long. Oh, maybe not. I get to enjoy it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really good. So I'm in. I'm in on Burn Notice. Now, this is like the kind of a theme. Uh, before Burn Notice, it was like a lot of 70s cop shows. It was, it was all 70s cop shows, yes. And, and like some of these actually have been like... Um, rebooted like didn't Ironside get a uh, get a reboot I Ironside did get a re- uh, reboot but I didn't care yeah no it, I, it, the original with uh, the great Raymond is uh, the one that I enjoyed and a lot of times these reboots they don't capture the spirit of the original specifically because it's a 70s crime drama but then they're like well now how do we make it you know palatable for modern audiences more sex and violence I'm like yeah but that's not that's, really what these shows what were it was right yeah. and uh, the other one is and of course they made it a comedy and you know Ben Stiller and uh and his crew, uh, but the old Starsky and Hutch, I I, I blew through those oh, during remember, the pandemic yeah, as well. Starsky and Hutch. Um, it's just there's, admittedly for me, there's like I said, it's comfort television. It's mm-hmm. my if I fall asleep, I don't care. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll just pick it up. You know, I'll, I'll restart it the next day. Um, 
but it just brings me back to my childhood. Yes. Where, and, you know, without, I mean, I'm a comedian and who the hell am I to talk? Where you had no worries. You right. know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. I'm able to escape into these 70s cop shows uh, and just kind of go, you know what? I don't have any health issues. I don't have any financial things. I don't, have, you know. Right. Uh, my mom and dad will take care of everything. I'm okay. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel when I'm watching those shows. The, there's a um, definitely a level of nostalgia that comes with the comfort of like how you kind of felt when you were younger, when you watched these shows. Like for me, it was the old Star Trek shows. Like I would like, I started them from the beginning, like um, original series, then mm-hmm. Next Generation. And I kind of went through them series by series, episode by episode. And uh, I got you get the same feeling. You're like, oh, this is um, I enjoyed these when I was younger, when I was a kid. But now, like I'm watching it, I'm still enjoying it. But at the same time, it's giving me this kind of comfort and nostalgia of like bringing me back to that time. So it succeeds on a couple different levels. Yeah. And I also found it helped with anxiety and all of these different things. And and it uh, uh, it was great. And the other thing that's great too is you never run out of episodes because there's so many 70s cop shows and there's so many star trek right episodes. so um it's not like oh there's only six now what do i do um now here's a fun piece of trivia for you i i have seen in my lifetime maybe two episodes of star trek and one movie and the movie i only watched because i hosted a show on amc 15 something years ago called movies at our house with Rachel mm-hmm. acquaintance and one of the movies we were showing was uh the Star Trek where they look for the whales. I forget which one that is. Star Trek Four. Is that the one? Is that which one is where uh, Chekhov goes? I'm looking for the vessels. Yes, is that Star one? Trek Four? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've seen that one. I've mm-hmm. seen a little bit of Khan. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be lying about it. And I heard that scene when I'm looking nuclear vessels. That was like um, somebody had wandered onto the set. Yes, and like that wasn't even like an actress. And uh, then Gene Roddenberry liked it so much he kept it in the movie. Um, I will now. So for the listener that doesn't know this, my it's, I, I bring all this up. Because my father-in-law is Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov on Star Trek. Yes. Um, so uh, I don't know anything about Star Trek. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. It's not my world. Uh, to me, I was meeting my girlfriend's dad, mm-hmm. and it just, uh, which is weird because like he, at the time, he didn't have a star of the Walk of Fame. He does now. Mm-hmm. But he had his hands in the cement and his feet in the cement yeah, yeah. in front of the Chinese theater. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't ignore the fact that he's like this icon, this, right. you know, this sci-fi legend. Mm-hmm. But it still was like... I'm just meeting my girlfriend's dad, yeah. <laughs> and I hope he likes me. <laughs> now, like, over the years, has he ever said, like, you know, I, I know you weren't into Star Trek at the beginning, but it's been years now, Jimmy. Could you just watch maybe a couple episodes? <laughs> he has never, uh, he, you know what, he, that has never come, you know, when, when Oliver, my son Oliver, who's now 14. But does he also remind you, so you know I was in Babylon 5, too. Uh, I, I do get that. And then, uh, what's all, the, the, the fun part is, uh, oh, you know what? Another one I went through was Diagnosis Murder, the Dick Van Dyke show, oh, uh, yeah. which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. I mean, it's dumb, but he's so good. Who cares? And so, you know who else is good? Sorry, I interrupted yes. you when you were going to say something about Oliver. I'm going to get to that. Okay. Uh, uh, Diagnosis Murder is important. It, it, uh, season one, and this is crazy to say out loud because he's out of his mind, uh, Scott Bayo is phenomenal on it. Really? He's a really good actor, and it's okay. a bummer that I now don't want to see or hear him because <laughs> he's out of his skull. Um, but I bring it up because it's fun talking like at, at a family function and like, uh, so what's been going on? You know, and I, and I say, oh, I've been watching Diagnosis Murder. And he goes, you know, I did an episode. And I'm like, oh, I did, I'm not to that episode yet. So then I'm able to look forward mm-hmm. to seeing him on Diagnosis Murder. Or I'll say, um, I'm watching, uh, you know, I'm going through Columbo. He goes, you know, I did an episode of Columbo. Mm-hmm. And then... I, I get to that episode, and sure enough, there he is. So that 
so that kind of happens, and that's cool to hear about, you know, uh, you know, Doctor Kildare or, or these other old ones that he was on, because mm-hmm. uh, I th- I think he knows that I'm not into sci-fi, but right. my son Oliver is. Mm-hmm. So Oliver watched all of the Star Trek series, oh, yeah, yeah. all of the um, uh, movies, and then when they they just did a a web series uh, that Walter was in, and Oliver played Chekhov as a kid in a flashback scene. Oh, that's awesome. So that was, and so I went to the set and watched that. And it was watching Walter. I mean, he, I don't know if, I'm, I'm sure he felt this way seeing Danielle and Andrew, you know, do stuff, but just seeing a grandfather watching his grandson play him as a child, uh, there was just a pride there. It yeah. was, it was really, really cool. Is it something that's online? I believe it is. And I don't know the name of it uh, mm-hmm. because uh, I cannot be more clear. I don't care about sci-fi. Um, I forget. Oh, shoot. It's called Star Trek something. Yeah, it was supposed to get a bigger release, uh, but then Paramount decided to reboot with uh, with Paramount, with um, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, and this, the thing that Oliver was in, uh, that Walter was also in, was uh, directed by Tim Russ, who uh, was in Voyager. Voyager. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't Played know the world. Mm-hmm. To me, he was just the guy saying, hi, I'm Tim. I'll be directing your son's scene. <laughs> Uh, but I, I'm not stupid. I recognize him yeah. from television. Um, but it was it was neat. And so Oliver did get to live. And uh, his big quote when he was younger was there's there's a there's a Star Trek where apparently Walter is kind of the one of the main focuses of the show of that episode mm-hmm. where they're in a fight and and Walter jumps over a table to start punching somebody. And Oliver was like, uh, I can't believe my uh, that's my grandfather. He he at home he's just my grandfather, but on TV he's a table jumping maniac. <laughs> And and Oliver was maybe nine out, or something. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think it was the trouble with triples. It is. I think it might be that episode. Where he jumped in, he attacked a Klingon. I, I think, again, I, I, I'm i getting a second hand at the time for maybe an eight or a nine-year-old. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and nodding and uh, trying to care. Yeah. <laughs> Try, again, it's, it's not my world. No disrespect to totally. any of it. It just mm-hmm. isn't my, my bag. Absolutely. And uh, is this something where, like, Every once in a while, like some show that will kind of straddle the difference, like uh, that you will like some science fiction, like a 2001 or something where you're like, oh, you know, I don't like science fiction, but that I kind of liked. Yeah. Aliens, uh, something like aliens that. Aliens I enjoyed yeah. very, very much, mainly because mm-hmm. it was more Jaws right. in space than it was. For sure. Um, you know, I, I, of course, it's 100% sci-fi. Is it an alien? Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> Dummy Pardo... Doesn't see it that way. I see it as they're on a spaceship and this creature's trying to get them. Promoted as horror in space, so yeah, yeah, you weren't wrong. Okay, well then I feel better about myself. Uh, And I'm sure there's a number of other things, but like, so a one that went the other way from that was uh, the uh, the recent movie Men, which I saw the preview. It looked like a great horror film, and uh, it's directed by Alex Garland, who I'm not I'm not a film nerd enough to know. I loved that movie until the last ten minutes when all of a sudden. It had some supernatural nonsense to it, and I, I was out. I mm-hmm. was out. And this is stupid to say, uh, like the book, The Green Mile. Remember how they released those as little novelettes, uh, Stephen King's yeah, Green yeah. Mile. Mm-hmm. I loved it. They, you know, every week a new, or every couple of weeks a new one came out, and I loved it. And then all of a sudden, the last book, where all of a sudden he's he's got evil in him, and it needs to be released via bees or flies, or whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, I was like, nope. I don't like any of this. And I, and then whenever I say that out loud, they go, you do know it was Stephen King, right? I mean, you, you recognize that. It, but for some reason, when it's, when it's not based in reality and it crosses over to 
It's not all going to be Shawshank Redemption. I, I, dude, I, I, I apologize for saying dude as much as I have. I, I get it. And my son tries to walk me through it mm-hmm. and explain that world to me. But that, uh, but I, I need it to be stayed. And I guess that's why Stranger Things eventually didn't work you, for me. You like, uh, you like things grounded. I like things grounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I need, um, a, I need a ground wire. Yeah, I need a ground wire, Chris. <laughs> Well, you know, there is like a lot of kind of thriller horror without those, um, you know, supernatural elements. The other thing that's interesting is sometimes you could get a movie that pretends to have supernatural elements and then there's like an explanation, like a Scooby-Doo episode. Yes. And I think that might be more your thing. Oh, I think it is. <laughs> I, uh, I will say that, that was really the, what I may think is the worst movie in the history of movies was Halloween Kills, uh, the most recent one. Where I haven't seen it. He yet. can't die. Like yeah. no matter what they do to him, he won't. He won't die. Mm-hmm. And as much as I adore the even the bad ones i adore of mm-hmm. the halloween apparently except for the latest one mm-hmm. i just couldn't take it anymore it's right. like he's not a superhero no he's not a, a, a some crazy being from another world where you can't mm-hmm. be killed with, with with human methods yeah. he's a human being and so stop it mm-hmm. um so then uh, so there's apparently one new halloween uh, uh, one quote unquote last one coming out that i will see mm-hmm. because i've seen them all since my mom took me to see the original in 78 you know, we're at this point with these franchises. We're oh, we're collectors. You're like, well, you know, I need the whole set. I may not like all of them, but right. I'm gonna need all of them. <laughs> I 100 percent agree with that. 100 <laughs> percent. Even even if they like, even though like that, what's it? H two O that had uh, L O Cool J in it. That thing is junk. But I was like, you know what? I kind of liked it. Yeah. <laughs> but Halloween Kills. I can't. I cannot say enough bad things about it. Yeah. It's um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I've heard mixed. What well, some people have loved it. Oh, and, yeah. I, I, and other people are like, nah. It's all opinion, but yeah. those people that loved it are mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, Jimmy, I actually been watching a couple of uh, older things, what? like like you were into the um, the seventies uh, crime procedure. Yes. I I still move. This kind of happened, and maybe it's also a function of getting a little older. Um, I saw The Mule with uh, Clint Eastwood. Now, refresh my memory which one that is, because I know I saw a recent Clint Eastwood movie where he may go down to Mexico. To find a kid. Yeah. yeah this, so I think I saw this. This That's a different film. Oh! <laughs> which one's that called? <laughs> that is called... Uh, is that called? The, um, Cry the... Macho. I saw Cry Macho. Yes. Yeah, I saw that one. And, okay. Uh, but, you know, it's you're not 100% off for, like, the, the story is, you know, he's essentially an old elderly gentleman, doesn't have any money, um, estranged from his family because he's made some terrible decisions, uh, and he owns it. He's like, yeah, I was a terrible father, I was a terrible husband, um, needs money to help them, to help himself, becomes a drug mule in his, like, uh, in his 80s, yes, literally yes. in his 80s. And but here's where it got a little interesting is like I was, I was telling my wife, I said, uh, hey, um, did, you know, this this looks pretty good. And she's like, you know, we saw that movie. I'm like, Are you sure we saw this movie? And she's like, yeah, he was a, he's a drug. De- you know, he works for the, the drug dealers. And I'm like, I look at the trailer and every once in a while there's a movie that maybe I've seen that I don't remember. Right. <laughs> And I was thinking, is this one that, you know, I saw half of, fell asleep, and then just claimed I saw the whole thing? Right. (laughs) And so I started watching it again. And it was like that dream that you couldn't quite catch at the back of your head. Like, I think I've seen this movie, but I don't remember that scene. I don't remember that scene, but I remember that character. Like, almost like, you know, you saw it in a parallel universe and then came back and then had your memory wiped. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) 
But it's it's such an interesting movie um, for a number of reasons because Clint Eastwood, you know, the fact that he's still making movies is amazing. And I've always been a fan. And, you know, if you've seen any kind of cop revenge or Western movie in the last literally 50 years, you've probably seen Clint Eastwood at yeah, some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But this movie... Um, one of the things that he's very smart about and what he's doing is he's like, you're not an action hero. <laughs> you're too old. What would you what would the world look like to you as an old aging, um, you know, guy that's seen a lot of shit like he was a, a war veteran and all those things. And it does a great job of that where, you know, first the drug dealers are like completely like oh, this old guy. But then they start to kind of like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they did put in a little bit too much of the like uh, like the old guy not understanding, you know, uh, you know, progressive <laughs> values and movements like uh, is like, hey, fellas, how you doing? And it's like a biker gang. But it's like it was dykes on bikes. So okay. it's like all, you know, hey, we're dykes on bikes. And he's like, oh, how about that? Like, you know, all the quaint old guy trying to figure out the world right, right, right. like there were like three or four scenes like then i'm like I, I don't think we needed that many sure. i think you're trying to say like in your in real life that like i'm old this doesn't make any sense to me but uh i'm accepting it and mm-hmm. you don't have to do that four times you Got do it you. once you, you, yeah. you don't need you don't need lesbians to do it with black people mexican like you don't have to do it with everyone. <laughs> every demo yeah, doesn't yeah, do it yeah, right. you, you can do it once but the movie itself, what I really like about what he does as a director and um, the projects that he picks is all the characters are nuanced. Like, you know, here's a guy that's got fa- faults and flaws. You still kind of care about him. You want to see him do better. You want to see him um, kind of redeem himself. The family, you want to see them forgive him. But you don't know what's going to happen. Like, like I remember Unforgiven. That movie was so tight and so well written and directed that like from scene to scene, you're like on the edge of your seat. I don't know how these characters are going to react. And then... When you get to these points where it it kind of all unfolds before you, there's nothing in the movie that goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. That character wouldn't do that because it's all so well crafted and well directed and put together. And he's he really is like the American Kurosawa. Like he's going to be literally, you know, directing from a hospital bed Uh as he's uh, as he's making his final films. And it's a good movie that I half remember. I, I definitely recommend um cry macho i liked too and uh it's i swear to god these movies he looks like he's been 80 for 20 years Mm -hmm. like a weird thing like you know he he's aged but then he stopped (laughs) like like, you know once he hit 80 well now you've got a free ride for the next 20 years Uh, making movies you're gonna look and sound exactly the same it's it's amazing i don't know what elixir he's taking <laughs> to, uh, to stop. And he's taking yeah. an elixir. Yes. And he uses that word. No question about it. <laughs> the, to uh, stop the aging process so we could get another eight films in. I don't know, but it's working. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a really um, a good movie, especially because it kind of also hits that nostalgia part that we were talking about where, like, well, we grew up watching Clint Eastwood movies. And, you know, here's somebody that, you know, we can see and what does the world look like to him and what, what does... Uh, what would he look like making a movie now? It's like when Robert Redford made that like gentleman thief movie a couple of years ago where it's like, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it just made sense. And you could put aging actors and actresses in movies and people will still watch them. Mm. It's okay to put older people in your films. Um, that's what's so frustrating sometimes about Hollywood. It's like, you know, young, you know, beautiful. And uh, that's changing now. Thankfully, like we're seeing all different types of people, but Ageism has always been that one thing where Hollywood just, you know, well, we made on Golden Pond. Stop bothering us. Yeah, you know, that's, we call. made one. We gave you one. Stop right. now. In the next 20 years, you might get another one. So 
Uh, but this is the kind of movie where, will my kids see it? Of course not. Will my wife and I enjoy it? Yes. So yeah, uh, definitely recommend it for, uh, it's a good film, but also it kind of hits that nostalgic feel for it too. I, uh, uh, I interviewed him once. Really? I did. I was at the, um, and I, uh, I bring it up cause it was, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it was at the Esquire man of the year party at the Chateau Marmont. Oh yeah, and that's I, where every Esquire Man of the Year party is, isn't it? Pardon me. does like every every kind of party is at the Chateau. I believe Marmont. it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had never been there because mm-hmm. I'm me and I'm not yeah. famous like those yeah. folks. Uh, I was hired to do um, for the online uh, for Esquire.com. I was hired to do in real time interviews where I would go around and interview celebrities, and they would then grab the. Uh, uh, file out of the camera whatever that word is what's that called uh, drive drive and then run mm-hmm. up uh, upload it edit it quickly and then people mm-hmm. were able to watch yeah. jimmy pardo talked to zach galifianakis and paul rudd right um uh seth uh, the guy from family guy seth uh, uh what's his name family guy seth mcfarland i uh, so I'm, I'm i'm talking to all these people quentin tarantino and they, they keep saying they go clint eastwood's here i'm like well we gotta find clint eastwood yeah. we have to we have to talk to Clint Eastwood. Yes. So we kind of get Clint as he's he's walking off the red carpet and he's going into he's going inside where it's it's crazily crazily loud, just mm-hmm. awful. You know, those parties are stupid that they play this techno EDM music that nobody wants to hear. Right. And everybody wants to talk to each other, but they play yeah. it and it's too loud. So here goes Clint Eastwood. Uh, so we we kind of stop him as he's as as he's walking from the red carpet into this loud room, mm-hmm. and I wasn't given a producer. It was me and the camera guy, and I said, "Mr. Eastwood, could we? Uh, you know, I'm doing interviews for for Esquire.com. Can can I just ask you a few questions? I already was interviewed, and I said, "Right, right. I, I understand that. Uh, that was the red carpet. Different thing. This is for this is going to go up within seconds. Let's do it inside." So we, uh, uh, that may be the best I've ever done an impression of Clint Eastwood, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so we walk in, and he stands on one side of a coffee table mm-hmm. with his wife and entourage, and kind of makes me and the cameraman stand on the other side of the coffee table. Mm-hmm. So we're awkwardly, like, this coffee table is hitting me in the shins, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to, and it's Clint Eastwood. But to be clear, before COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yes, very much before COVID. <laughs> and, and, you know, he talks like this, you know, yeah. and... Again, loud EDM mm-hmm. across the coffee table, uh, and I have a microphone, but I don't have headphones or anything, so right. I I don't I don't have a sound system to hear anything. So I would say, uh, you know, uh, we're here with Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clint, what do you you know? What are your thoughts on this year's man? Whatever my mm-hmm. stock questions were to ask him, and it would just be. <laughs> I don't know what he said. Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand a word because first of all, you don't understand him anyway. Because right. he's 80 years old and talks quietly. Mm-hmm. And now he's talking, now he's 80 years old talking quietly with crazy dance music happening. Yeah. So I can't hear him. <laughs> so I would just kind of look to see, is he done talking? Mm-hmm. I would then ask my next question. And he would do it again. And uh, they then took the chip and brought it upstairs. And they brought it up and they go, yep, that's not usable. <laughs> so the coolest moment of me being able to talk to this legend. Uh-huh. I didn't even get to see the footage, yeah. nothing. And it wasn't raw. They were, I knew it was unusable as it was happening, but I still uh, can say that I interviewed Clint Eastwood. Absolutely. And uh, were you able to get like a still or anything from it? Did you take a picture? I was not able to. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, 
Esquire was very interesting in that uh, they were more than happy to intrude on these celebrities' mm-hmm. uh, bubbles for me to interview them, but they wouldn't. They also, but they also felt it was a step too far to get a photograph. Interesting. And I was like, really? That's, that's an interesting line. I'm kind yeah. of already standing right next to him. Yeah. Maybe you snap it while I'm talking to him. <laughs> like, I don't, uh, what was the, like, they didn't sign a release for stills or something. Like, was the. Something stupid. Something yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day, an intern got fired. So, <laughs> uh, By the way, as you were describing it, I, I have seen The Mule. Mm-hmm. Feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also once watched, um, back when uh, uh, 70s cop shows were 90 minutes. I watched 87 minutes of a Kojak, and at the 87-minute mark of, of a 90-minute show, I went, oh, I've seen this one. <laughs> but it took me that long into it to go, did I see this yeah. one? And then, oh, yeah, I saw this one. Yeah, it make, makes perfect sense now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Chris Mancini, I'll turn the tables. What else are you watching? Any television? So I am. I actually been watching like a couple of older things. Like I went through uh, Stranger Things a bunch of uh, with the the last episode, and we we really t- kind of took a deep dive into the eighties nostalgia. Yes. To like, uh, I'll mention this to you because you're another child of the eighties. They, uh, I don't know if you've seen season four yet, but I they, have not. I I was out. You bailed right on season one. I bailed yeah. because again, I'm not monsters and yeah, all that stuff. I just it just it. To, uh, this is unfair because I know people liked it. To me, it was just trying too hard, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't. Again, it wasn't for me. Right. And uh, but I recognize you loved it, and other folks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people I know love it. Well, what I what I like that they're doing is, uh, and speaking of like being grounded, I talked to Neil about this last week. Is um, um, they're taking parts of the the '80s that people don't quite remember, but that we went through. Like there was a whole. Like, I think they actually had a name for it, like Satanic Panic about like heavy metal music and right. how it was corrupting kids and how Dungeons and Dragons was like, you know, turning kids to Satanism. And when you watch that with contemporary eyes, like now, I'm like, well, that's they're making that up. That didn't really happen. And uh, I'm like, oh, yes, it, it did. Yeah. <laughs> and what I liked about it is that they kind of juxtapose that kind of like weird things that actually happened in the 80s with the supernatural shit that's kind of happening. And. The other thing that I think you'll find interesting is if you just kind of grab a couple scenes here and there, it's like, oh, I went to high school with that guy, that guy, I went to concerts with him. <laughs> like, like it's, you know, and these kids literally in the show weren't alive right. back then, but somehow they've been able to channel <laughs> yeah, these yeah, yeah. kids and, and like their mannerisms, the way they speak. It's like, it's it's super attention to detail. It's like really good. Great. But the other thing I've been watching is I've been watching the old Twilight Zone episodes, mm-hmm. the, the um, Rod Serling ones, like... Um, and I didn't realize how many of them he actually had written too. Like this wasn't like a show that he had hosted. It was like, it was his show from start to finish. And the licensing was a little weird, like where I could watch them on Netflix, except for season four. There were five seasons. Couldn't watch season four because for whatever reason, those shows were an hour instead of 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So the license was different. So when I got um, Paramount Plus, I started actually seeing the missing season that I had oh, missed great. in these hour episodes, and they're so good. And some of his shows are so forward thinking that look like, oh well, he just he shot this now. Like uh, there's an episode with Dennis Hopper in it, and what I mean, it, it almost put me in tears. It was so good, and it was so relevant to today, where he, he's basically a neo Nazi, and it's he's. Um, He's basically down on his luck as a neo-Nazi with uh, um, and he goes through the story of kind of like, well, how 
how does he become more powerful? How do people start following him? How do how does he turn the tables where he actually stops becoming a joke and becoming a threat? And there's like this shadowy figure in the background that starts helping him, and it's obviously it's it's Hitler, of course. Uh, but the way it's done is so frightening because it shows you that this has been going on for years and years and years and years. This is not something new. Racism and uh, scapegoating and like one of the things that uh, they were the the shadowy figure that was, of course, Hitler was teaching was like, well, if people are poor. Tell them why they're poor. Give them a reason to hate. Give them a reason to be angry. And that turned shit around for him in a bad way. And then he started getting more popular and, and the more attention. And uh, and, uh, and uh, there were a couple of things that resonated a lot. That was one of them. The other thing was that uh, there was an old, there was a, a, um, a concentration camp survivor that was also in the episode. And he was saying, you know, everyone thought Hitler was a joke to start with, too until he wasn't and that kind of progression like you don't really see it from like a contemporary lens as much because it's like by the time you do see it it's too late yeah and because everything that you know we've been going through as a country lately is you know is kind of paralleling you know the fear and the racism and, and the hatred and uh you know you 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 can dismiss these thoughts and these people that are saying these things as clowns but at some point it becomes too late and then they're not clowns anymore. It's, it's yeah. deadly serious. And that was a point that I really had never seen before. Like, uh, well, you know, Hitler, you know, people dismissed him and, and thought he was a joke. And then, and, and until he wasn't and that kind of thing. And then the wrap up, Oh my God is like, you know, well, where is he going to go next? Is he going to go to like the shadowy figure? Like, is he going to go to your town? Is he going to spread that? And, uh, it was it was a super super. Uh, it wasn't subtle at all. It was a warning. Uh -huh. that, uh, he was give, and, uh, um, but it was so like like you think. Oh, well, he just wrote that last week. Like that kind of that kind of forward thinking. And then there was a couple of them because the way he uses science fiction is so effective. Um, time travel ones where well I can go back in time and stop World War Two from happening. And then he realizes that you know the character can't and what's going on in human nature and all of these things kind of combine to these compelling stories. And with the hour long format of the season four, you he actually gets more room to tell these stories. Now there's five seasons of stories. They're hit or miss. There's a couple of them yeah. that are, mm, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we could have done without a couple of those, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, you could see William Shatner in literally like two or three of them. Right. Robert Redford's in one, you know, every single actor from that era in Hollywood is in at least one. Hmm. Um, so Jack Klugman, plays one uh, he's in one um he's like the captain of a spaceship that uh you know this is spoiler but uh he has a crew of two and does they don't realize that they're dead oh. and he's so obsessed that he won't let the crew members move on to die and be with their families he keeps them in this like limbo and like like really creepy shit like that now, do the effects hold up? Of course not. It's 50s, you know, tinfoil and cardboard. Right. And, it look, and uh, you know, the most advanced equipment is like, you know, one of those um, screens with like the wire or the, you know, the, the um, that goes kind of back and forth. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, if you just kind of um, kind of take that out of the equation, you're like, yeah, this was 50 special effects, which were ridiculous. Uh, but then, you know, you kind of just take it abstractly, like with the idea, like the same thing Gene Roddenberry did with Star Trek. It's like, well, these are little morality plays, but 
you have to make them so entertaining that people don't realize that, you know, they're getting actual messages underneath. Because if you flip that and you're trying to moralize to people as they're trying to be entertained, they'll reject any single message that you're trying to say because you're not entertaining. That's your first job. And then when people are entertained, their defenses are down, just like when we do stand-up. It's the easiest way to get a message to people is when they're laughing. And I think this such a um, it's such a delicate balance, and only a few people have really been able to do it um, really well. Gene Roddenberry, of course, with Star Trek, and then uh, Rod Serling, and um, uh, but it, it's more often than not it's done incorrectly. <laughs> so you know, if you want to um, send a message, if you want to do little like morality plays, if you want to move society forward, as you know, all great artists do. Um, you can't forget to be entertaining first. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but I've really been enjoying these shows and there's some of them have just been real gut punches. Yeah. These, uh, these old, uh, um, twilight zone episodes. They're, they're really good to revisit. And, um, I really recommend them. Like I didn't really like the new, the reboot. Of, I did not of, either of, uh, of twilight zone. What's weird is like, it had everything I would want in it, and I still don't like it. It was one of those weird things where, like, oh, my God, Jordan Peele, love what he does. Yeah. There's no one that does um, message horror better than him. Um, the first episode was about stand-up comedy. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, check the box, check the box, check the box. I'm like, why am I not enjoying this? Yeah. Was that Kumail? <laughs> Kumail Nanjiani? Yes, yeah. yeah. And I love him, too. Right. And I'm like, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, oh, what what happened? Why am I not enjoying this? I don't know what happened to the mix. And that just shows how delicate the balance is. Right. Yeah, I wonder, I, I'm with you. And, and, and so I, I so that, that has me a little concerned about uh, Nope, the movie that's coming out. Right, the alien uh, one. Is it... <laughs> uh, yeah, is, is uh, has Jordan Peele lost his magic? <laughs> is uh, what headlines would say on Entertainment Tonight. Yes, is he pulling an M Night? Yeah, yes. right, exactly. <laughs> Who I tend to like, uh, even the ones that people don't like, I like the uh, mm-hmm. the M Night stuff uh, for reason. And again, I'm not a sci-fi guy, but for some reason, I, uh, I Sixth Sense, uh, Sixth Sense, I liked. I like Signs. I right. loved The Village, and I know everybody hated The Village, but I yeah. loved it. Uh, you're, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lady in the Water, whatever that was called, I didn't care for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, for some reason, I like his stuff, even though, I, I don't know, I kind of know it stinks. Yeah. But I like it. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Yes. But is it, or is it just, I like it. You know, who, I don't, A guiltless pleasure? Is why it? am I guilty? Why, am yeah. I, why, do I, why do I feel bad? I don't uh, um, I'll tell you one thing that I, I did enjoy about The Village. Uh, you know, a her- terrible movie. I hated it. Uh, but Jared, I just said I liked it. I, I think that's so funny. <laughs> there went, there was, uh, I'll never forget this because I was in the movie theater, packed theater. Um, everyone, like, wanting to see it, think it's going to be, you know, terrifying. When there was one scene at the, at the, I think it was about midway through the film, when there's, like, the creature with somebody in a costume that actually shows up on the screen. Yes. Somebody near the front yelled at the top of their lungs, Oh, shit! <laughs> Entire movie theater bursts out laughing. Right. And, uh, and it was like, you know what? You could only get this experience in a movie theater watching a horror movie. Yeah, And yeah, I yeah. was like, you know, that made me actually make enjoy the experience more, not necessarily the movie. I understand. But the experience more, so... I wasn't as angry about the money spent. So. Uh, I wonder why I liked it. I wonder why it worked for me. I can't give you one reason. I just remember liking it. I, I liked the reveal. 
Um, because it wasn't supernatural and it wasn't an actual monster. You I liked think it. it was grounded. That's what it is. But yet, mm-hmm. I did like signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a big. I love Mel Gibson. I love what he stands for. <laughs> um, it, uh, why is he still allowed to make movies? Yeah. Why is he? Why is it still okay? <laughs> I mean, we're done. There's other old white dudes. Yeah. We don't need to have him. Even Australia has more. Right. So why him? Why do we need to bring this bigot back on screen? Well, maybe he's funding his own after Passion of the Christ literally funded an entire, you know, uh, studio. I don't know. But, uh, I did like that movie. I hate to. Yeah. Well, it was, I remember when that movie came out too, like Passion of the Christ, because like, he funded it himself mm-hmm. and it made a fortune. And then uh, there's one thing where I said, oh, well, he should give that money back or give it away. And I'm thinking... Why? Why should he do why, that? Why? He's that's one thing. I agree. He, he he's the one that took all the risk and put the money up. Yeah, like, no, he deserves. If he wants to, that's fine. But he shouldn't feel obligated. No, you know he should make you know um, other weird obscure movies with that money that no one else will see. That's yeah. what he should do. Why? I don't. And then remember he made Apocalypto. <laughs> oh, did he? I don't even remember <laughs> <Yes>. that movie. <laughs> Apocalypto. Who was in it? Him? I I don't even remember. You didn't see it. it was a, yeah, I didn't see it. But. Uh, that was one of the you know the follow ups that didn't do quite as gotcha. well. Yeah, <laughs> especially is that Jim Caviezel? Or Pas- is... that's Passion of the Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is Caviezel. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know we have uh, we have time for one or two more. What else are you watching? Well, Jimmy? We, I we ju- I just finished the documentary uh, The Double Next Door. Uh, oh, speak- tell me about this. I don't uh, know. Speaking this of one. the Holocaust, mm-hmm. uh, it's about uh, uh, somebody in in uh, in the eighties. And I did not know any of this because I was, you know, either uh, working in the in the music business or starting stand up. Mm-hmm. So my head was I was so self involved mm-hmm. uh, that a guy was living in Ohio and somebody recognized him as Ivan the Terrible, who ran a concentration camp and who was a horrible human being. And somebody recognized him, so they extradited him to Israel and had him. He went up on trial, and I will not say anything more than that because I mean it was in the news, but I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. So this documentary, it's, I think it's only five episodes. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's, so it's a series. It's really well done. Uh, there are more twists than you would ever imagine, considering mm-hmm. that it's just a real story. Yeah. Um, about this guy, uh, John, I will never be able to pronounce his last name. Uh, but it's not a, re- it's not a dramatization. It's it a, is not. A- although I will say that the staircase, which I love the documentary of the staircase, mm-hmm. the uh, dramatization of it uh, with uh, Colin Firth, is phenomenal, hmm. it, uh, and Tony Collette, uh, it is outstanding. Uh, and even though, again, I knew the whole story from the documentary, it still was so. It was so great. Um, wait, there might even be a couple episodes left of it. Now that I say that out loud, it may not have finished yet, or it did finish, and I'm a, an idiot. Um, but that's good. So mm-hmm. we just watched that, and then of course at the movie theater uh, we just saw Top Gun. Oh, which now, that's uh, one I haven't seen yet. My wife really wants to see. What did you think? I, I. I, my wife and son and I all went. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reviews in the house were uh, Danielle hated every second of it. Okay. <laughs> it, it was it was not for her. Oliver gives it a, a six, mm-hmm. and I give it a ten. Wow! Now, when I say a ten, I don't mean it compares with The Godfather and Goodfellas. And right. I mean it's a ten for what it is, and it is it checks all the boxes. It's got the nostalgia of the eighties for me. Um, even though he's in a cult, I like Tom Cruise. It ticks that box. He, I think he's great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the action scenes are great. My friend John Hamm is in it, mm-hmm. and he's great. Um, it, it, tick, it, it is a great movie for what it is. It, it's a perfect movie. It's a perfect movie for that. And so uh, I, le- I left on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. And when I walked out and Danielle was like, literally, and she's not wrong. She's pointing mm-hmm. out the flaws. 
She's not wrong about any of the flaws. The yeah. flaws are 100% accurate, but shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on cloud nine enjoying myself. I don't need you to... I even said I go, I even said to her in the car, okay, you're done. I can't... I, comedically, of course, I don't talk to my wife like I'm a trailer guy, but uh, I just didn't want to hear any negativity because I was... I just... I, I literally was floating out of the movie theater. It just mm-hmm. brought me back to eight, 1986. Right. And I, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was stupid. It was everything I wanted it to be. I cried at one point. Like it mm-hmm. is, I think it's great. I think I hope I'm not building it up too much because uh, again, my wife hated it. Yeah, my son thought it was average, and I loved it. So now, um, did your entire family see the first one before you saw this one, or were you, were you the only one that saw the first? No, one? in fact, we just recently rewatched it during the pandemic. We had a movie. Uh, we watched I, I don't know close to uh, 120 movies over the pandemic. And, uh, Every t- night was movie night. It pretty much was, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then we, uh, it was Oliver's thing. He wanted we, he, uh, every twenty five we would rank them mm-hmm. as to what was our number one movie of that twenty five, and and then talk about the movies. And you know, it gave us something to do during the pandemic. Sure. And Top Gun was one of them, and it does not hold up. Yeah, it is <laughs> awful. I mean, it's awful. Mm-hmm. And I remember in nineteen eighty six, absolutely adoring it and thinking it was great. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack was great. And, uh, Danger Zone. I, I think it's a great song. It's a horrible song, but I think it's a great yeah. song. Uh, it didn't hold up. So I was kind of panicked about the new Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I loved it. Will I see it again? Probably not. Right. Uh, but I very, very much enjoyed it. And I reckon if Audrey wants to see it, you should go yeah. see it. Because she you know, she liked the first one. I, I think I'm going to have to rewatch the first one just to kind of uh, you know refresh my memory. I don't think you need to. Really? I think <laughs> they do a good enough job of uh, flashing back mm-hmm. and... Uh, and, and drilling home why maybe we don't like Maverick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I You'll remember within seconds. Okay. Uh, you, you Don't do that to yourself. There's no reason to watch the first one. Good to know. There's none. No. Well, you know, Jimmy, we have covered a lot of ground. Sure we have. Today. Now, let's talk a little bit more about uh, oh. like what you've been up to and uh, Never Not Funny. But you that's not the only podcast you're doing. You have a couple of other things you're doing, too. Uh, right. Well, it is the only podcast I do. Uh, at the moment, uh, but I do have a web series called Jimmy's Records and Tapes. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the web series. Uh, and that is where I, uh, uh, the most recent season, season one, which came out, uh, I want to say pre-pandemic or uh, right in the heart of the pandemic. I forget mm-hmm. what happened. Uh, that was where I, I actually went, I did 20 episodes going year by year starting in 1975 and what was happening in the world in 75 and then the music that affected my life from that year. Mm-hmm. Then the next week was 76 and so on and so forth. And then once that was exhausted, I moved on to just doing um my five favorite songs that feature the harmonica, mm-hmm. the five my five favorite songs that uh, with a female lead singer, like stuff like that. Uh, I'm not saying they're the five best. I'm saying they're my five favorite. Right. And it's really just an excuse, it's an excuse for me to talk stream of consciously about music. I, I fight with myself. Mm-hmm. I make fun of myself for my choices. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, I mean, it's comedy first, right. music second. Mm-hmm. And trust me, the music people tell me that on a regular basis. <laughs> um, the... Uh, uh, so, I, but I'm enjoying doing that, and uh, and so there's, I think season three is up at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, with season four right around the corner. Okay. Uh, when I say right around the corner, probably within six months. Right. Um, and then uh, we also just we just we just re put these onto on uh, YouTube uh, many years ago in uh, uh, in alliance with the Nerdist. Uh, we did a, a web series called Right Now with mm-hmm. Jimmy Pardo, where I uh, was the host of the show, and I have three comedy writers on stage with me a stand-up performs while these three people in real time write me roast style jokes and then when the stand-up is done 
They leave the stage. The three writers hand me index cards with jokes on them. And then I go through the jokes, uh, uh, basically crapping on the guy's act. <laughs> and uh, and then I end up yelling at people when the joke doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's I think they're only like 10 minutes each. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- so it's really digestible and it's really dumb fun. Mm-hmm. And say, so is Jimmy's Records of Tapes. It's dumb fun. Right. And uh, so come and, come and watch them. Go watch them. And you're doing a live show at Flappers, a pop culture show too, right? I do a, I do a game show called uh, Pop Culture with Jimmy Pardo that uh, we uh, that uh, I, I got involved with during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And now that we brought it into the live setting. Uh, but I, they still play it virtually. You can still watch it virtually anywhere whenever we do these. The next one is in July. The date is in flux. Uh, but it's a fun there too it's just dumb it's just dumb pop culture mm-hmm. things and you know we've had great people like Patch and Paul F. Tompkins and Kimberly Clark were on the most recent one and uh, Regan Burns and Mitch Silpa and Kristen Stuttered have been on some episodes and uh, you know it, it's at midnight with 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 dumbness right. attached <laughs> and I mean that in a complimentary like it's yeah. just it's just a, it's an fun. excuse for people to have fun yeah 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 the game is it's almost like who's line the game doesn't matter right <laughs> uh, but I enjoy doing it it's, uh, it's a fun game and uh, for Never Not Funny, you've been doing that for how many years now? We started in April of 2006. Wow, yeah, because you were one of the first podcasts, really. We were, in fact, I just talked about on the podcast that I, I very uh, whenever they do a, a story about me, and not so much anymore because they all think Joe Rogan and Conan O'Brien invented podcasting. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, or Serial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whenever somebody who does their homework does an, uh, an article on podcasting, they mm-hmm. always reach out to me. Right. Uh, and I'm referring and Adam to Adam Curry's name always comes up. <laughs> Well, he did, he did do like the first one that nobody ever listened to. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, they refer to me as a pioneer, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm comfortable with because I'm certainly not the first. Uh, but the reality is I wouldn't have done that if, if my co-host and producer, Matt Belknap, hadn't come to me and said, I think you're great at the UCB. Why don't we turn that into a podcast? Right. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try that. Mm-hmm. And so it's really Matt Belknap mm-hmm. who is the reason kind of why comedy podcasting blew up and while again the the, the better journalist gives me the credit uh, and i will take it as the face of the show uh thank god for matt belknap and his vision to ask me to do this show right so i, I thank him i thank him my house thanks him yeah. my 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 son's schooling thanks him because you um you know you've been going strong for many years and there's um, you have like the free shows but then you also have a subscription we for, do uh, uh we uh, once a week there's a free episode and then uh, once a week, we also have um, a bonus, not a bonus, a second episode for mm-hmm. folks that, you know, in a, there's a Patreon style, sure. you know, subscription uh, platform uh, that they, they get video of both episodes in addition to audio. They get a couple of bonus episodes uh, each month, uh, depending on what level you sign up for, different other perks. Uh, and uh, those shows, you know, some some people think that those are, the, those are exclusive, so they're not as important. I disagree. Those are the people that are paying. Those shows are pretty damn important. Right. Uh, yeah. we, you know, you don't want to lose your paying fan base. So yeah. uh, we're very, very lucky that we, when we, we started when we did, we have a very loyal fan base. Again, I, and I'm very grateful for them that they, uh, I mean, some of them have been with us since day one. Yeah. Listening. You know, we, there's a, a, young, with you. a young lady who uh, just had her 36th birthday. And she's been listening since episode one, which means she started when she was 20 years old. Wow. How she related to me and my references to Ario Speedwagon, I don't know. <laughs> but she started with us at 20. Now she's 36. And she like so she grew up with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that people seem to still care 
Yeah. And to listen to my nonsense. Well, it's such a fun show, too. Like, uh, you know, it's a lot of stream of consciousness. You know, you play fun games. You know, you and, and Matt's chemistry is really good together. And uh, I feel like it's, you know, we, we keep going back to this kind of like nostalgia and company. It's, it's comforting. Like, yeah. you know, you could turn on Never Not Funny. I'm not going to get anything that's going to make me sad or upset. And this is like, this is well, my... Well, you could in 2016. Oh, we could make course. you very sad and upset in 2016. <laughs> and maybe 17 and a little bit yeah. in 18. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we're like, let's get back to comedy. So yeah. there was a little period of time. Very true. So if you if your listeners are going to ever, uh, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll dip my toe into what Chris just said. <laughs> and you hear one of those episodes. Just know yeah. that uh, you, you may get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Uh, but you're right. I agree with you in that. And and, and the listener kind of lets us know that, that, you know, that we're the friends they have there 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like they, that they just know that when they're going through a tough day, if they pop on Never Not Funny, they, you know, if they can't go out with their friends because right. it's one o'clock in the morning and they're sad, they get to listen to us. And there's a group of friends that they kind of relate to. And this goes back to, you know, what podcasting and what we wanted to show in the documentary is that, you know, the podcast is a companion for you. You know, no matter what you're going through in your life, this is a comfort that you can find and listen to and make you smile and laugh and also relate to what, you know, other, the comedians are, or other people are going through. And it, it again, it's just that magic of podcasting that doesn't happen in any other medium where there, there's that connection. And the longer you do it, that stronger that connection goes. I mean, people come in and out, of course. Right, of course. But, you know, you it, if somebody listens to a podcast for two or three episodes, it's OK, this is kind of good. But if someone listens for years, mm-hmm. it's a connection that, uh, you know, they they feel like they know you. you and in a way, you feel like you know them like you, you have a specific type of fan and you kind of know how they are and, and what they like and what they don't like. So. A lot of times people say that the connection only goes one way. I disagree. I think it does go both ways. I, 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 think, I, I, I think agree. you're connected to your audience the way your audience is connected to you. And uh, I think that's a really you know important thing about podcasting. And God bless you for doing the same show for so long. It uh, <laughs> Well, you know what? I mean, I had a – my son is 14. And mm-hmm. I announced on an episode season one that Danielle was pregnant. Right. And so people have listened to him grow up. Mm-hmm. They've listened to him have a squeaky voice. And yeah. they now hear him sound older than me. So like they get to, they got, so people kind of stay with that. So yes, it is the same show, but of course it like, I mean, life has thrown us a lot of curveballs. Yes. And you know. so we're able to address what's going on. And, and admittedly, we lost a lot of listeners mm-hmm. because we, we kind of just were like, we can't be quiet about what's happening. This is, right. this is what's happening in the world. Yes. You come to us for comedy to escape, but we're living, we're living this too. Yeah. And we yeah. need to express it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we got, oh, did we get, we got letters. We got. Oh yeah. It's, it's like, you know, you're not allowed to have an opinion on anything else. And it, it, it's, there's a couple of things in play. One of them is that nobody's the same person they were 10 years ago. Right. Just host audience. It's everyone changes and evolves. Some for better, some, some for worse. Yes. Uh, we know, but, we know those folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you also have the, like you said, like, all right, well, I just want to come here and hear jokes. I don't want to hear your opinions on anything else. I'm like, and, and those aren't your true fans. They're, they're really not. And uh, the, the true fans really want to just kind of engage, even if they don't agree with you. They're like, well, yeah, I don't agree, but I consider him like a friend because they've been listening so long. Like, you know, I'm still going to be a fan. Like anybody who like listens and then you say one thing they don't like and then leaves that they were going to go sooner or later. anyway. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, I, I'm always blown away when it's the, you know, because we, we've done 
some really offensive jokes on my show. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the truth. We have. Yeah. We've grown as people. We've on stopped. our acts? Like if we, you know, oh, the dude. Tw- 20, 30 years ago, we, you think... <laughs> I'm horrified by a joke on my Comedy Central special that I shot in 1999. Yeah. There's two lines in that, three lines, there's three lines in that, that I wish to God I could go in and say, can you edit these yeah. out? Because they're really awful. I, mm-hmm. I'm very uncomfortable with them. Uh, and in the podcast, you see us grow. You see us using words that were, they never should have been, but mm-hmm. we're quote unquote acceptable. Right. And then you see us going, using pepper, 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 sometimes then never. Right. And <laughs> never use it because, you know, you finally go, you know what? That word does, that, that that's not a kind word. Right. Let's stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what was my point? Uh, I'm great. That's my point. I've, I've grown. I'm <laughs> point a, taken. I'm sure. A, I'm, a great, I'm a great person. And uh, listen to my podcast. Yeah. Well, where can people find you online? And do you have like a, do you, do you have a hub, Jimmy? Where I, well, jimmypardo.com, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, but you know, at Jimmy Pardo on Twitter, and of course, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, nevernotfunny.com is really where the podcast is. Are you and, on TikTok? No. God bless. Dude, you. I was the last guy on Twitter. <laughs> I was the last guy on Facebook. Like I don't. Yeah. I I you know I I I know I'm supposed to be on Insta. Yeah, as yeah. the kids say, I know I'm supposed to be on TikTok, and I, you know, I can't like, it's like I don't need to join another social media platform that I don't understand, right? Like I don't understand the ones I'm on, let I, alone I'm going to add to them. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't join Twitter until I, 2015, where uh, I think I joined the day it shifted from being fun and funny to 98 percent politics. Mm-hmm. So I never got to enjoy Twitter the way that everybody else got to enjoy. It. Like I literally yeah. joined. And uh, here's uh, here's politics yeah. and like oh mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. you know I I literally spent you know which is now a, a very uh, popular hot uh, phrase but I was doom scrolling from uh, scrolling from day one just mm-hmm. oh, awful news awful news awful news <laughs> oh there's a comic trying to be funny get out of here yeah. we have we have no time for that at this moment then <laughs> then thank God they um they they brought out the mute button that was like I think that's actually kept me on social media the the uh, mute button. was that not so, see I. I it that, was later, like that. That didn't exist before. Like you had to, like you had to be exposed to all this awful stuff, even if your friends were saying. Interesting. I'm like, so I'm like, oh my god, well, I I can't scroll fast enough to get away from this. Right. And then you know I don't want to unfriend this person, but uh, I'm like, oh the mute button. Yes. Thank you. And I'm, the mute button goes. Okay, now at least I don't know if he's saying that yeah. stuff. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I did not know that. I, I've been, uh, from the day I joined, because again, I joined very late. Well, let uh, me uh, let me say this, though. When they did unveil the mute button, very popular. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yes, it, it was very popular when it started. Uh, and people use it all the time. Yes. And, in fact, sometimes I even see people post that always makes me laugh. Somebody just posted, uh, just so you know, I've muted 90% of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it makes sense. Yeah, so uh, so jimmypardo.com, that's where people can find that's, it? That's, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to do a little wrap-up now, Jimmy. Go ahead. I'll stand by. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for so, having me. Uh, oh, absolutely. Thanks for coming by. This of course. Is, uh, you know, and every once in a while, we get to do an in-person podcast, which is always fun. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone. And for more info and merch, you can go to whitecatentertainment.com. You can get t-shirts, signed books, and graphic novels, mugs, a Quiet Journey's blanket, and more. You can also join a semi-monthly mailing list. I'm not great on that, but I will be getting better. You can also follow on Twitter and Facebook at White Cat Stories. Just look for the White Cat either sleeping or flying with a jetpack. You can also contact the show about advertising or anything else in your mind through the website as well. Thanks again, everyone, for the support. Please don't forget to rate or review the show and stay safe. Jimmy, thanks again for coming by. My absolute pleasure. Thank you.